Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. So we started our series last week called Powerful Purpose, and we dealt with the idea last week of how we become more confident in hearing God's voice, because it's kind of hard to understand a divine purpose in life if we don't understand how God communicates with us, right? This week we're going to continue that, and uh, and we're going to start today by looking at something uh, that I think is one of the biggest frustrations I hear people talk about when I bring up the issue, what do you think God's calling or purpose on your life is? And so let's watch this video because it sets that frustration up really well. So a lot of times when we talk about what's your purpose or what's your divine calling life, what's God's purpose for your life, we get stuck on the what questions. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to accomplish in life? And as this video clip, I think, sets up frustration for us really well is we have so many things we have to do in life. So many roles we have to fulfill. And it's so easy when we face this question to just let it get buried under the mountain of different demands in our life. I I find other people struggle with it too from the standpoint of many people feel a disconnect from this question because they have a hard time relating making another sale or getting a product to market on time or whatever you do in your life to a sense of divine call. Over the next few weeks, I want to lead you through a number of uh, thoughts and processes. Yes, there's going to be some exercises, actually. In fact, next week, I'm going to send you home with uh, several pieces of paper to do an exercise that, for me, was one of the most uh, impactful exercises I've ever done personally to clarify who God made me to be and his call on my life and how he's prepared me for that. In fact, I've, I've seen dozens and dozens of people do this. I've seen young people do it and find out their next steps. I, I remember one particular man who did this exercise with me and uh, it resolved a major midlife crisis and he finally came to terms with this is who I am and, this is, and he found peace with that. And I've watched people in retirement do this and find a sense of meaning for their later years in life. So I want to invite you to consider are coming back next week for that. But today we're going to look at uh, kind of a foundation for our thinking. And our foundation is going to be drawn largely from the work of a guy named Dr. J. Robert Clinton, known as Bobby Clinton. Now, you probably haven't heard of him, but he is the most quoted, probably most influential Christian writer, pardon me, on leadership in the last century since he wrote a book a quarter of a century ago. Now, the reason you haven't heard of him is because he's an academic. And he's a little bit hard to read. So almost every major Christian writer on leadership has been popularizing for the last 25 years this guy's theory in terms of process and in their writing. And we're going to look today at him because he spent time studying every single leadership character in the Bible trying to figure out how God developed them. And not only that, but he spent time with all of his graduate assistants helping him in the research, studying literally hundreds of historical and contemporary leadership figures who were Christian, but they may have been businessmen or scientists or rulers or educators or missionaries or pastors, but they all made a significant difference in their community, in their nation, some in the world. And he studied to try to understand the processes God takes us through, which is actually one of the interesting things with him. He says what's actually more important in this life 
in, be, in fulfilling your purpose, your divine purpose, is your ability to understand and engage the process more so than all the other things we normally hear, which is different because you read all the other leadership books out there, and a lot of them say what? They say, oh, here's the ten things you need to do to be a visionary leader. Here's the three processes you need to do in order to be an effective leader, right? And they focus on all the things you must do. But Clinton says, and his studies and research seem to demonstrate that more than the talent, more than the things you do, it's really how well you engage each stage of life. And he identified a number of stages. Now, before I lose you, some of you are going, I don't know, identify with that leadership label. You should, because every single one of us in this room is a leader somewhere in some way. For instance, in the last series, one of the topics I didn't really cover much in our text from the last series was the fact that we were talking about gaining a sense of a powerful me, what our self-esteem can be built upon that is enduring and solid and powerful, being in our image of, uh, of who God is. What I didn't say in that, though, which is also clear in the text of the Bible, is that when we don't understand who God has made us to be, when we don't grasp that powerful sense of self-esteem like he wants us to be, we end up influencing those people around us just negatively. We influence our children, our spouses, our friends, our coworkers positively or negatively. We all influence. And the invitation is that God wants to transform all of us into being leaders, people of positive influence who, in concert with the work of the Holy Spirit, spur one another on to love and good deeds. And that's the premise of our series. We have a couple of assumptions I want to get out of the way quickly, too. There's one assumption. If you want to grow in God, you will be leading. You will be influencing other people. You can't grow in your faith without doing so. And if you want to be the best in life that God wants you to be, you will be about empowering other people. You will be other-focused. So let's look at our core text that's going to get us into our topic today. Ephesians 2.10 reads this way. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think this is the most amazing verse in calling and purpose in all of the Bible. He says we're his handiwork. Another word for that is we are God's masterpiece. Is that the way you see yourself? Do you see yourself as God's masterpiece? He says created in Jesus. The only way that meaningful, lasting purpose is fulfilled in our lives is if we do it in connection with Jesus and his plan for our life and the power of his Holy Spirit. For what? For good works. He's not saying so-so works. He's not saying is this all there is in life type of works. He's not saying works that a hundred years from now will, won't matter. He's saying good, pleasing, lasting impact, meaningful works is what he's got planned for us. How do we get to those works that God has prepared in advance for us? Well, the text says the works are already there. They're already there. It's not something we have to strive for. It's not even something so much that we have to set these big, hairy, audacious goals. Otherwise, if we don't set those goals, we won't achieve it. Uh, Bobby Clinton's findings go along with this idea of the Scripture that, that the purpose and calling is not realized so much by talent 
or charisma or how disciplined you are in your focus on setting goals, all those skills, although they can be important, but it actually has more to do with you being fully engaged in becoming the people God created you to be, thereby following him into those works that he's already prepared. Now, I look at that and I think if we all got a little bit deeper, we'd put the company that makes ibuprofen out of business, right? Because we wouldn't have any stress headaches. Put another way, living in the greatness of your purpose is all about understanding and persevering in the process of knowing who you are and of living out of those values. And it has less to do about the goal-setting, natural talent, and charisma that you have. What I love about that and what's really fun about studying leadership literature, especially the guys that do the research on leadership, is that they arrive at a lot of the same conclusions the Bible does. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, one of the major findings that he puts forward out of his research in that book is simply this, that those corporations, those businesses that went from good to sustainable great over a long period of time were not led by the outrageously charismatic, talented, visionary leaders that we would normally think somebody has to be, that all the books try to make us into as people. But they were led, he says, by people who knew who they were. And they lived out of their values doggedly through the ups and downs, meaning through the the failures and the threats of failures and the conflict, often quietly compared to their flamboyant counterparts, their charismatic flamboyant counterparts, they lived out their values and persevered in being who they were. So in a sense, discovering discovering our powerful purpose is an extension of discovering the powerful me, the person God created me to be, and seeing myself the way he sees me. And it's a lifelong process. Thus, the title for today, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Now, since process is most important, I think it's also then important that we understand God's process and where we are in that process. And uh, I think that's the most helpful thing we can do. So we're going to briefly look at his stages. And if you walked in, you should have probably received a handout so that you can take notes and reflect on this later because there's a number of different steps and stages, and we're going to go through this rather rapidly. So, But the general lesson that, that comes out of all this from Clinton is, is this thing that I hate. I just, I've always hated it when somebody said this, so I'm going to say something I hate. If we don't learn the lessons, the character lessons of each stage, we'll get stuck going round and round, coming back to opportunity after difficult opportunity until we either learn the lesson or we're just stuck there for life. Step one, stage one, is sovereign foundations. Sovereign meaning God had a divine plan for placing you in the family, in the community, in the time period in which you live. Foundations is talking about our early life development, the building blocks of our character and our personality. Now, sovereign, that can be kind of hard to swallow for us, especially if you were born into an ungodly family or a community and you experienced a great deal of pain because of that in your life. It can be really hard to swallow that God had a sovereign reason for putting you in the family. Here's the biblical perspective on that. 
God never desired for you to experience that pain or be put in a family that experienced that pain. He did desire you for to be in that family, but God is always, always at work to try to lead people to repentance and freedom from sin. And the reality is when parents or when grandparents or when community leaders or political leaders or, or when you don't respond to God, we all pay the consequences. Sin is never just an individual thing. Now, even though you have little control over where you're born and the family and the time you're put in, Clinton does say there's one key lesson that's actually a lesson that we can see illustrated in Samuel's life in the Old Testament. Samuel was born into a wonderful family, but because of the vow of his mother, he was given over as a toddler to be raised by an ungodly, evil high priest and family in a difficult situation. And Samuel's job in that situation was the same as all of us. It was to learn to respond positively to God and to his presence and to respond in obedience to what he asks us to do versus getting bitter and distancing ourselves from him. Now, stage two is called inner life growth. In this stage, we have this growing sense of being a person of promise. There's something that happens that kickstarts or activates in us an intense desire to grow and be used by God regardless of what you do for a living. There's the sense that God has a purpose for my life. And even if that's undefined, we go through the stage of actively wrestling with who we really are. What fits me? Some of you may be like me. At 18, I had a clear sense of calling to this general role that would be a vehicle through which purpose would be fulfilled. But, and, and that's a lot like David. David in the Old Testament, as an early to mid-teen, was chosen. He was anointed to be king of Israel, right? But yet you still see him taking on all these different various roles as the youngest brother in the family. He's left at home tending the sheep. He's eventually maybe promoted a little bit, but just basically he's the private musician to the king and goes there whenever he's needed. And In this stage, we see ourselves taking on lots of different roles in work. We see ourselves taking on different roles in church and our social relationships. We're trying them on. We're trying to discover the right fit. And, and here's the deal. If those roles don't seem to fit what we think is our purpose, we get caught in worry, right? Am I just going to miss my purpose? What's happening? Where am I going? I can imagine David a lot of times sitting there. How, how are these roles looking after sheep and taking cheese and crackers to my brothers at the front line and playing music for the king? How, uh, how is that the stuff of a future king? How is that getting me to my purpose? Where is that taking me? I think all of us have probably at times wrestled with those questions, right? Where is this taking me in life? I mean, where, where am I headed? Why is this? And then there's others of you who are probably a little more like Abraham than David. You didn't really have a clear sense of your calling until you were older. You didn't, he was married older before he had any sense of clear calling. And then imagine for Abraham, the actual fulfilling of that call wasn't until he was extremely old. Ancient as the hills, Right? Can you imagine what that process must have been like for him? During this time and when we deal with this phase, we have this growing internal pressure. When and how is this purpose thing going to happen? And how can I make all the right choices to make this thing happen? And 
And uh, there's an author and life coach uh, named Tony Stoltzfus who illustrates this stage with a funnel that I think is really helpful. And what he says with this funnel is that early in life, it's less important, and this is along with Clinton's findings, it's less important the particular role you are in. What is important is that you're actively engaging the process of doing things and trying on new things and being a part of doing. Because the activity of trying on new and different things is what actually begins to refine and shape who you are, your gifts, your values, and what you were made for. And he says, and they say often only in retrospect do we actually see the roles, even the hated roles that we just despise and how they have positively defined our life. I mean, I look back at my own life. It was only years later that I could give any kind of redeeming idea to why I worked so many years on the farm and why I worked so many years at UPS and why I worked in the dishroom and even had a cruddy telemarketing job. What did that have to do with ministry or purpose or calling, right? Yet we so easily get caught up in the worry and the struggle and the frustration of thinking my good purpose might be passing me by. But the truth of this is that God is the funnel. He has, what, prepared things in advance for us. And what's really important, more than the roles we're in, is how we respond in life, particularly how we respond to him, is far more important than any particular role we take on early in life or in this stage of our development that fulfills our purpose, that leads to the fulfillment of our purpose. Now, there's a couple key lessons that uh, Clinton uh, arrived at out of the lessons from the Bible and the study of the historical characters for this stage. He said that the, the key lessons are this, learning to pray, being confident in hearing God's voice, and then taking action on what he says, which is, will you follow God's leading? When you know it, will you follow? And will you also follow your conscience? And these lessons are learned, he says, and reflected in the faithfulness you show in the little things. The little things of faith, the little things of obedience, as well as those little frustrating, underappreciated, underpaid, seemingly small, dead-end roles that you've taken on at different points in your life. It's the faithfulness in the little things. And the major temptation of this time period is restlessness. We just want to get going with the dream. Come on, just let's just get going with the dream, right? And we get restless and we bypass the little faithfulness we need to be paying attention to. You see, this stage is really about preparing capacity in us to be significant influences in other people through character development and the development of our spiritual habits and not really so much about what you're accomplishing in life. Now, the primary goal of this stage and the the main thing that has to be answered to really move out of this stage in life, so you may still find yourself in this stage later in life, is the key to this, is are you all in with God? Is your life and purpose about God's will or your will? Is your life and purpose about laying up treasure in heaven or laying up treasure and accolades for yourself on earth? And the transition that's often takes us out of this phase, is often marked by a a step of faith, a risk, something, a decision that tests our all-in commitment to God. And for David, that was the Goliath story. 
Now, we know the story. David's still relegated to tending the sheep, and his father one day says, load up the donkey with some cheese and crackers and bread and take them to your brothers, brothers who are fighting with the army of Israel. And he goes up there, and we know the rest of the story. He has his opportunity, and he walks into his first great success in life and goes into the next phase, which is called the role of role maturing. It's the stage where we begin to do more of the kind of thing we feel called to do. We get to be involved in some leadership roles. Maybe we get to do some management or some community leadership roles, or we get to be a mom or a dad, or we do, we start being a small group leader, or we start coaching our kids' teams or our, or, or something of that nature. And all those leadership roles become the focus of our life. And what we're learning in there is two key lessons. We're learning to deeply clarify and more deeply understand our gifts and learning to use them effectively. And there's a deepening of our understanding of people. Not just understanding them, but understanding how we can influence people even in difficult time periods. How to begin to think like a leader, not just a person. Focusing growth as our person of influence, as a person of influence is the major aspect of our life and we, we find ourselves probably devouring training, reading books and just learning from whoever we can learn in this time period. But there's a disconnect that happens for many of us. And this disconnect actually makes a lot of us stall out for a long period of time, sometimes permanently. And this disconnect is something that Clinton found in his biblical and historical studies as well. And it's this, simply this. Even though you are focused now on success in your roles and you're starting to have some success in your roles and you're constantly asking the question, how am I progressing toward my goal? In God's eyes, this is still not a stage about your production. He's not, he, he's not so concerned about what you're producing and how much success you're having. He is still in the business of shaping you and handling and shaping your character and your spiritual habits to have even greater influence. And most of us, myself included, we struggle with this phase. We get frustrated because we don't see promotion happening like we want. We see the slowness of release to larger roles going on or we have setbacks or delays that come and and we're faced with two tests, which are really one side, the two sides of one coin. The first one is the old axiom that the greatest test of character in life is success. The greatest test of character in all of life is success. We see this in Joseph's life. Joseph, sold into slavery. He gets bought by a Potiphar. He rises to the head of his household. And if you really understand who Potiphar was, basically he is now, Joseph is now the CEO of his boss's Fortune 500 company in Egypt. I mean, this is, this is a big wig. This is a big responsibility he's got. And he's got great success and God's developing through him. And then all of a sudden the second test, the other side of the coin comes. And that test is, will we be a good follower? Are we submitted to authority? And that test almost always comes centered in conflict, centered in crisis, and oftentimes lead to, leads to a sense of isolation or a setback or difficulty. And the question we're dealing with there is, can you honor God by submitting well, even to authority that is incompetent, unfair, corrupt, Maybe even evil. Can you submit? 
Oftentimes their struggle is with bosses or, or colleagues at this stage, and, but sometimes it's also a struggle with a spouse or aging parents that puts us into this, uh, this phase of development. And the question is, will we trust God to get us where we need to be, or will we serve our own interests? Will we play the politics of competitive manipulation to gain an advantage over others instead of serving others and serving them because God wants us to do that with kindness and honor, even when they don't, especially when they don't deserve it. It's the essence of servant leadership. Joseph faces this. He rises to the head of Potiphar's household. And where's the test? It's Potiphar's wife continually trying to seduce him, trying to tempt him, and he faces this whole submission to authority test. We see it in Paul after his conversion. Paul has this great success in ministry immediately following his conversion, and then he drops off in isolation for 10 years. We don't hear hardly anything about him. This can be a frustrating time, a really frustrating time, because you have a much clearer picture at this point of who you are and who God may have made you to be, and you're a lot more confident of the picture of your sweet spot in life. And when we face the difficulty, we find ourselves constantly tempted to change jobs. Every time we experience significant difficulty, we, we want to find greener pastures. We want to find room to run, Right? God's intent at this point in our life isn't so much letting us run. It's the cultivation of this deeper layer of our ability to give grace toward other people, of seeing God in conflict, of developing a greater ability to handle the ups and downs that leadership, influence, and other people's lives brings. Those are the key lessons of this stage, but the temptations we face are to change, change jobs, change churches, change friendships, change spouses, to be free of the conflict, only to find that we end up facing that conflict again and again and continue to blame other people for it rather than looking inward at the character development God wants to do in our lives. Or the other temptation is we tend to settle We stall. We give up on our dream. We just become people who punch the clock and we just endure it and get through the day. Tired of dealing with conflict, so we just punch the clock. Tired of dealing with the difficult decisions that come with being a people of influence. As parents, we tend to, a lot of times, enter this stage of life when our kids are teens, and it bleeds over into the life of us parenting our teenagers, especially if we have a difficult time with our teenagers. We tend to either get to the point where we just settle, or we avoid, or we ramp up the conflict. None of them are positive. Those are all negative ways. Instead of growing in this internal sense of peace and joy and deeply understanding them, and learning through patience of conflict and crisis to engage and influence them positively. You see, if we don't learn and don't face the character development lessons of these three stages especially, we will live with a whole lot of worry and a lot of anxiety and fear of conflict. And when we do, we can't positively, deeply influence anyone because we have to spend too much of our life living in self-protection rather than engaging in relationship and the influence God wants us to have. God is calling us to be powerful in our purpose 
And that requires that we're also powerful in the security of the sense of who we are as people. Stage four, is life maturing? Something in this stage, uh, in the difficulty of life, begins to shift for us. We usually enter this stage through a deep time of reflection on lessons we've learned in life. And unfortunately, those deep times of reflection are usually triggered by a setback or a job change or a move or a life change. Especially they happen a lot of times when you're beginning to feel like you're at the top of your game and then all of a sudden something happens and you go into this place of isolation. And, and the first lesson we have to face is, is will we deeply engage this time with reflection? Will we really reflect on it? Or will we respond to this test and simply work harder and ignore it and flame out? Or will we leave our job in discouragement or have a midlife crisis with all the negative things that go along with that in our cultural ideas of that associated with it? See, if we choose to engage in reflection really well, there'll be two more lessons we get to learn. And we'll begin to mellow. We'll become more stable. We'll become less swayed by crisis and conflict is what uh, Clinton found in the lives of these people and in the Bible. And, and something, even though we've talked about it for years, even though we've said this is true of ourselves for years, something at this stage begins to click deep down where we experience more deeply that our relationship with God is more important than success. Somehow that just begins to click for us deep down. And the wonderful side benefit of that is when we begin to learn that lesson, people don't just begin to follow us because of the accomplishments or that we drive ourselves or that they can be a part of with us, but they actually begin to want to imitate your life. Because really that's what most people are looking for in life is the ability to face the difficulty with a sense of calm and stability and trust and still be passionate people. That's what people want. For the sake of time, we need to hurry up and wrap this up. But stage five is called convergence. And convergence is where the funnel really begins to narrow. We get, we get to actually spend the majority of our time at this point in our sweet spot. And the, the key tests for us as we face this are, are two. Are we willing to let go of the things we are really good at to only do the things that we are best at? I know everybody dreams of that, but that's really hard to make that decision when it comes around. And the second one, and the reason it's hard is because when you make those changes, this is the second, the second test, you face relationship change and you face conflict in some of those relationships and you face internal conflict because I can do this well and I'm no longer gonna do it, right? And so can we, can we pass those two tests? And then the final stage, that he identified as something called afterglow is what he referred to it. And it's a weird term, but, but it describes it very well. It's in the later years of our life, when our energy is beginning to wane, we don't have the public visibility, we don't have the drive that we used to have because of the deep, beautiful relationships we've developed all throughout life. We get to experience the idea that people through those relationship networks are coming to us constantly for coaching. Even though we aren't as visible, even though we aren't as active anymore, they still come to us. Not because of our sage wisdom in terms of what we can tell them, but because we've learned that process is the most important and we find ourselves in a position where we encourage and we coach them through the process and they feel valued because of it. Not because of what we know, but because of the coaching and the relationship that we develop with them. So, 
I want to pause there, and hopefully some of you may have been putting some questions in or some comments you wanted me to interact. We'll take just a couple minutes to do that, and uh, this week I'm going to do that alone mainly because uh, I got behind this week and didn't have time to prep somebody else to join me up here. So if you've got some questions, we'll take a couple minutes. Hold on just one second. We do have questions. And just to let you know, uh, real quick, if you have questions that didn't get answered in this service today, uh, don't forget that we post both uh, sets of Q&A of both of our services on our podcast, and you could access those uh, through iTunes or through uh, the website each and every week. How was that for a stall? Did that feel natural to you? Good. All right. <laughs> uh, my question stems from the Ephesians 2 passage. I know that here and in other passages from the Bible that we are called to do good works. If our relationship with Jesus isn't about our works, but about his love and grace, what do good works mean for those who aren't in relationship with Jesus? In other words, if someone lives their life devoted to good works without Jesus, does it just amount to vanity? The difference is the heart. Okay, so this gets back to the core of the gospel. Um, and the core of the difference between law and gospel. The law tells us to do a lot of things, right? Right? But we can't do those to earn relationship. That's a hard issue. If we're doing those to earn relationship, then we're living under the law. But we still have to do a lot of those same law things. We just have to do them from a heart that is motivated by gratefulness because we are accepted, because we are forgiven, because we are loved, and we are perfectly loved and perfectly forgiven, and we have this wonderful relationship. It's the difference between doing it for religion purposes to earn merit and the, 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 the doing it out of gratefulness because you're in love in your relationship with God and you're feeling loved. And so the good works, are they just in vain? No. You know what? I think, I think the Holy Spirit's at work in people who aren't even followers yet who have no clue and no desire to even be followers, to try to get them to do their good purpose for him. And frankly, the Bible is pretty clear, even of some pagan kings in the Old Testament, so you can read the stories of how God orchestrated circumstances to make sure they were a part of the grand scheme of the purpose for their life. Now, were they a godly part of it? No, not necessarily, because some of those works weren't even good necessarily, but he still managed to get it done. But I think that's actually one of the ways that God draws people to him. By us being able, maybe, maybe you'll have this conversation with one of your five. I've, I've seen people come to faith because all of a sudden you, say, you start saying, I love that gift God has given you. And you start labeling something good that they're doing, which is really God at work in them as God, and all of a sudden it creates a, a relationship connection for them in that process. So I think that's a really valuable thing to look at. Another question? Yes. Uh, do you really think that a single decision makes us all in for God? Isn't it true that God asks us to make those decisions at every phase of our lives slash careers? Yes. Yeah, but I think there is this time when you have to make that stake in the ground where you say, I'm going to live my life this way. Does that mean you don't have to make that decision? No, again, because I think you see throughout this whole thing, every phase has tests and challenges of are we going to stay all in. But what Clinton's saying is you don't really get very far in this process. You don't get past stage two, really, in this process unless you're going to make that stake commitment, right? Right? Because if you don't make that state commitment, then everything you do from there 
is really about your own means and your own end and hoarding stuff and success for yourself and really not about God. He can still redeem it and transform it in the end, but it's really not. So, yeah. Got time for one more? Yes. Uh, when you are in the role maturing stage and you're in a job that is not a good fit for your calling or you feel stuck in a setting that doesn't go along with your calling, how do you know whether to stay put or make a change? You mentioned not to change, uh, not just changing jobs, churches, etc., just because things are difficult. Mm-hmm. How do you discern when the time is right to make a change versus sticking it out through difficulty or suffering? Yeah. Um... I have not done that well sometimes, and I have done that well sometimes. And the times that I've done it well have been largely because I had some really good people in my life who helped me stay put. So, number one, you'll know, you'll know when you're ready when some people around you who are godly, who are in your life, also are saying, yeah, I think you've dealt with this lesson of having your heart right in this place. Um, obviously, you know, we brought up the idea of the fact that part of the test is to be submitted to authority, even if it's corrupt, even if it's evil. Now, that doesn't mean that you participate in the evil, but we, got pl- we have plenty of examples like Daniel in the Bible and plenty of other people who were submitted to pretty evil guys for a lifetime, and they figured out how to navigate that. So it really comes down to how much are you going to trust God to lead you If you're not convinced it's time to leave, then don't leave. If you're not convinced you've dealt with that challenge well enough, then don't leave. You should have fairly clear guidance from God. That's the reason it's so important to get confident in hearing God's voice. You should have fairly clear guidance that this is God leading you to something, not you running from something in that process. Um, Otherwise, if you don't have that clear leading, I would say stay put. And if you're still wrong, God will get you out, and you won't have to worry about making that decision, okay? So, so here's, here's what I want you to think. Where, are you, where do you see yourself in these stages? What are your current challenges? And how might be God asking you to grow right now? Kind of some big questions, but important questions. Where do you see yourself in the stages What are your current challenges, and how might God be asking you to grow right now? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would come and that you'd apply these questions and and this learning to each one of our hearts. Lord, first of all, I pray that you'd take away that pressure that we feel to drive ourselves into the purpose. And Lord, that you'd help us to learn to follow and trust the funnel, trust the in advance, that you've prepared them in advance for us. Trust, Lord, that you want us there more than we want to be there, that you want us to hear you and be led by you more than we want to be led. So I pray that your spirit would come right now for anybody who's been feeling pressure about this sense of purpose and decisions they need to make, and I pray that you just come and wash that stress away. And Lord, I ask for uh, the people who have questioned whether they've just blown it because I'm older and I feel like I'm in a really early stage and I haven't mastered it. Lord, I pray that you'd come right now too and that you would speak to each and every one of the hearts that feel that and you would take away 
that guilt. And you'd replace it with your peace. You'd replace it with your loving invitation to just start, to just go where you're at. And that you still speak over their lives saying, I still have good purpose. None of that has changed. I still have a wonderful purpose. Just come. And just respond to a spirit coming to you now and, uh, and say, Lord, I want to come. I want to step out. And let the guilt go away. Let it wash away. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for this good gift. I want to invite you to continue to worship. And uh, as we do, we'll receive communion. And I can't think of a a more wonderful way to to remember the fact that he's got good works prepared in advance for us and and, and his invitation for us to be all in by coming and taking of the body of Christ and being reminded how he paved the way for us. How he endured pain because it brought healing. And that's what he's inviting us to be people of influence, willing to endure the conflict and the pain of being influencers, to stay fully engaged with the hearts of other people so that he can bring healing, and to be people of deep grace, that we stay in relationship with people even when many people would run because we forgive, because we've been forgiven. So come and worship. We serve an amazing God. And he wants your life to be one of tremendous influence, far beyond anything you have imagined yet. The Bible uses terms like, his thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Right? Way beyond what you thought. And the deal is, you don't have to carry the stress of being there. He's prepared it all in advance. If you'll just declare yourself each and every day all in on the process not shying away from the difficult aspects, not letting the conflict or the fear or the anxiety keep you from engaging in influence of other people's lives, but getting deep into people's hearts where, yes, you experience some of the pain because of that, but you get to experience what Jesus said about the cross for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him He endured each and every one of these processes in his life. And you can do the same. If you're here today and you've never made that public declaration that you're all in with God, I want to invite you to do that today and just come talk to me or one of our elders or prayer people at the back. If you've got another thing you'd love prayer for, we would absolutely love to pray for you. Otherwise, let's just go this week. Let's keep praying over our leaps of faith, expecting God to show up, expecting God to bring opportunities for us. And sometimes those opportunities are going to look like conflict. And he wants you to step into it, not away from it this time. Okay, God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.